the University of Arizona Bio5 Institute, we bring together hundreds of multifaceted experts that include world-class bioscientists, engineers, physicians, and computational researchers. This team science approach is designed to ignite creative solutions to the many complex biological challenges facing our families and communities, and has resulted in disease prevention strategies, promising new therapies, innovative diagnostics and devices, and improved food sustainability. Hello and welcome to another episode of Science Talks, a conversation hosted by the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute. My name is Lisa Romero. Neurological diseases are disorders that affect the brain and the nervous system and include Parkinson's disease, dementia, and Alzheimer's disease, among others. These diseases affect hundreds of millions of people around the world. Researchers are working diligently to better understand these diseases as new approaches to prevention, diagnosis, and treatment is paramount. Today, we're joined by a trained physician and scientist, Dr. Lalitha Madhavan. Dr. Madhavan is an associate professor of neurology and also a member of the Evelyn F. McKnight Brain Institute and the Bio5 Institute here at the University of Arizona. Her research merges the fields of neuroscience and stem cell biology to understand how the brain works and contribute towards the development of treatments for disorders such as Parkinson's disease. She's also a recent 2022 University of Arizona Women of Impact awardee. Dr. Madhavan, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I'm really excited um, to be joined today by Dr. Lalitha Madhavan. Um, I am a huge fan of your work um, and how meaningful it is um, to a lot of uh, areas of, of health that are important to me and a lot of other people. Um, but mostly I'm really honored um, to be in the presence of one of the um, 2022 uh, Research Innovation and Impact um, Women of Impact Award winners. So I want to congratulate you on that honor. That's um, pretty incredible and well-deserved. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Thanks for the opportunity. And it's just fantastic to be here. Oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you're here as well. Um, I want to get you know to your work and and talk to you about a lot of things, but I, I think let's step back for a minute. I'd love to hear, um, you know, a little bit more about your about your background, um, how you uh, you are a physician researcher, which is um, incredibly noble and difficult, and uh, there's not a lot of people that manage to do you know, do one or the other, much less both, and, and merge them into a successful career. So I, I can't wait to hear more about that. But um, I think you went to, to medical school in India, right? Were you raised in India? Yeah, I was raised in India. Um, and I, I did go to medical school there. Um, so, you know, I mean, I was interested, I became interested in the health sciences very early. You know, as a child, I always wanted to do something uh, related to the health sciences, but my first love and my first stop was really medicine. Um, so, you know, um, I was lucky enough to get into medical school, um, 
I made it through it. <laughs> and then I was just kind of uh, going along, trying to build my career um, as a physician. Um, but, you know, just as things happen in life very often, things took a little turn. <laughs> and uh, I ultimately landed up uh, in research. So predominantly now I engage in research. Um, and, you know, the, the backstory of all of this is, is really thinking back about things, um, you know, as, as I was um, in the clinical arena uh, for those few years, you know, it became clear to me, a few things became clear to me, actually. One was that, it, especially in terms of neurological disorders, we didn't understand these disorders very well at all. And that was a big part of the problem in terms of developing treatments for these disorders. And, you know, there aren't really treatments that can address these disorders meaningfully, that can stop the progression of these disorders. And, and, and uh, there aren't, uh, there are very few options actually for physicians in the clinic uh, to provide to patients um, that can really help them. Um, and so as these sort of realizations were coming upon me, you know, when I, in my clinical years, um, you know, I uh, was, uh, I had moved abroad and I was, I got a chance to do research, uh, something that I hadn't had the chance to engage in uh, um, during my medical school years. And then everything started to click. Uh, it almost, uh, it started to seem to me that um, in order to make advances in brain disorders, um, advances in basic research were important. And so, Things took a turn and I started to delve into research and went on on the long road of the PhD and the postdoc and all of that. And, uh, you know, um, I guess, uh, you know, that's just how it all started. There you are. <laughs> After all <laughs> that, right? Uh, that's an amazing story. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we at Bio5 are lucky to have, you know, a a handful, maybe a, a double handful, but not many of physician researchers that have done sort of, you know, kind of taken both of those journeys, either, like you said, started off with one and, you know, kind of somehow got into the other or somehow in parallel, uh, it evolved, but um, it, it's always sort of that same, you know, that same narrative that you shared is, is just this whole different mindset that that brings when you are combining, um, you know, the training and the, I guess, lens of both backgrounds into, you know, research outcomes now. Um, so I wonder what, you know, want to talk about, um, you know, your work today. So, I mean, you, you start doing research, you find that, um, you know, it really is, is a fit for what you want to pursue. Um, you know, how, how do you just, you know, start out on the path of, of neurological diseases? And in, in, in particular for you, I think Parkinson's is a, a primary focus, although I know there's implications for other brain diseases as well in your work. But I mean, how did, how did that happen? And, and, and sort of, you know, was there a personal interest in that? I mean, it, it just sort of evolved. Yeah, you know, during my PhD, you know, I was lucky because uh, just around the time that I joined the program, um, there were two researchers uh, who joined as faculty in my department um, who were pioneers in the area of stem cell biology and, and cell transplantation. And they came to the department and I was lucky enough to be able to 
uh, impress them and join their lab as a student. Um, and, uh, you know, when I started to get exposed to this field of stem cells, uh, it really became um, sort of um, uh, uh, obvious to me, uh, the sophisticated and cutting edge and almost um, sort of uh, the, the idea that this, this research was at the frontiers of science and there was just so much potential uh, and so many um, uh, avenues through which there could be solutions for some of those problems and some of those issues that I had been thinking about, especially during my, my, my clinical years and then moving into you know, that, that whole period of, of, of trying to swerve into the research side of things. And so you know, that's where my journey with stem cells started. Um, and uh, then when I went on to do my postdoc, um, I joined a lab that had expertise in Parkinson's disease. My, uh, my um, um, uh, mentor was, uh, was again, one of a very, very well-known uh, scientists in the Parkinson's disease area. And so there came the interest there. So I, uh, uh, my job there really was to kind of apply and bring my stem cell expertise to bear upon those issues relating to Parkinson's disease in that lab. And I've just followed that path since. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think, you know, for us non-scientists out there, you know, you, you talked a little bit about this already, but it's, I think, very hard for people to understand um, with, you know, brain diseases becoming so, so prevalent and so damaging to, you know, virtually every family at some point um, in some way or another. Um, and I think, you know, I hear a lot, even even friends of mine that are not really, you know, around academia or science a whole lot. And just like, how can we not be further along in understanding what causes dementia, what causes Parkinson's? And like, how is it possible with all the technology and, and this you know, science that we have emerging all the time, how can we be still so far behind? And I, you know, I try to explain in my very, very non, non-scientific way, but uh, just because I am lucky enough to be able to talk to so many of you, um, you know, because it's the brain and it's very difficult to study, you know, a brain in a live person and, you know, and then just, it's difficult, it's complex. And so I, I, I I would love for you to talk about how, and I mean, it got some parallel to that. I think a little is understood or maybe some is misunderstood about stem cell biotechnology. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe some people have a reaction to that without ever understanding, you know, the incredibly positive benefits of this type of work. So talk about, you know, how stem cell biotechnology, um, it, it, you know, is allowing, you know, ability to potentially develop, you know, these biomarkers for earlier diagnosis, perhaps novel treatments and therapies. Um, talk more about where you are with that in your work. Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, you know, let me take a step back and just kind of talk about what little bit what stem cells are and, 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 and what these things, just to give a perspective, you know, on, great. on, the, on yeah. the potential. So, you know, like you said, the brain is one of the most, um, you know, highly evolved and complex organs uh, that really makes us uh, who we are and, and uh, defines what we do uh, in many ways. Um, um, but it's also a very remarkable organ in the sense that it is learning, it is changing, and it's adapting. 
throughout our lifespans. And, and that adaptation, the term, the scientific term for that kind of adaptation is plasticity. And, uh, uh, and I think this, this terminology probably has been thrown around a lot, uh, but, but plasticity essentially means adaptation and stem cells are really at the core of this adaptive process because they have the ability to divide and, and uh, generate new cells and replenish tissues in a way that other cells cannot. Um, and so uh, these cells uh, really are, remain as sort of reservoirs of plasticity um, in our brains throughout life. Uh, reservoirs that can be used to support brain health uh, and made, uh, maintain brain resiliency in a way. Um, uh, but also we now know that we can, uh, we can sort of grow these stem cells uh, you know, in the laboratory. Uh, we can study them, we can uh, uh, sort of use them to sort of, um, uh, uh, I would say test drugs and uh, sort of uh, develop treatments uh, for disorders where, where certain cells have died. Because like I said, stem cells can become other cells other different type of mature cells. And so, you know, we've developed now these techniques where we can drive these stem cells in the laboratory to become these cells that are dying off in brains in particular disorders. And, uh, you, know, you know, there's this idea of, of trying to replace cells, right, back into the brain, into in brains of patients who uh, have lost some of these cell types. So, so um, you know, those sorts of possibilities are there uh, with stem cells. And so, um, uh, you know, that, that's been really exciting. This is not possible to do with other cell types in the body or other types of technologies. That's really interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I know at U of A, it's, it's a very unique space where we have a lot of, uh, you know, really world-renowned, uh, you know, recognized uh, scientists, researchers, um, working in, you know, the field of what is normal aging, what is, what is, what is aging, what is normal aging versus disease, aging, you know, disease uh, as we age. Um, and I think, you know, probably this kind of, of thinking would be useful in helping discern those two things as well. And is that right? Yeah, absolutely. That that's correct. I, I actually work very closely with with the aging uh, biologists mm -hmm. here at the UFA. Um, you know, I'm part of the McKnight uh, Brain Institute, uh, run by Dr. Carol Barnes, and uh, you know, it's it's just been fantastic. Uh, you know, being part of that environment too, because uh, when I initially came here, I I wasn't into the the aging field as much. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, just because aging is just so intrinsic to uh, uh, chronic neurological diseases like Parkinson's, uh, because we we know, I mean that. Uh, Parkinson's occurs in people, uh, has more chance to occur in people as they age. Um, not all people who age are going to get Parkinson's, but uh, generally Parkinson's occurs in people who are older. Um, and so that sort of connection between aging is very interesting. So to understand what is normal aging and then what differentiates normal aging from pathological aging or disease is really important to understand. And so uh, we kind of straddle that side of the work too. So stem cells are very useful in studying those kind of issues too, because although they are a fountain of youth, they are <laughs> also affected by aging to some extent. And so they can be reporters and tell us a lot about aging actually um, uh, and, and what's going on there. So uh, we have used stem cell as a tool to study 
aging from that point of view. Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I wish that, that you all would um, know everything there is to know about this before I'm as old as I am already, <laughs> as I'm sure you can relate to. But, um, you know, I just, I, it gives me so much hope for, you know, uh, the next generation, my children, our grandchildren, and, and um, you know, it's just so exciting. But, um, when we're talking about, you know, stem cells and, and, and looking at them again in, in regards to aging versus disease and how, you know, how they can re-energize, how they die, how they, you know, whatever the process becomes. Um, I mean, can you basically look at, you know, individuals, individuals in, the, in their specific set of stem cells and, and study the causes of, of, again, particular disease or just look at it and say, this is a normal aging process? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's, a, uh, um, uh, that's really a complex issue and difficult mm -hmm. to study, uh, but we are able to um, study actually uh, diseases from a very individualistic point of view uh, using stem cells these days. So this really goes back to this technology uh, called induced pluripotent stem cell technology. It's something that, that I've established in my own laboratory um, since joining the, uh, uh, the University of Arizona. But essentially this technology was given the, uh, uh, actually the, the scientists who developed this technology was given the Nobel Award in 2012. Um, and this technology really is about um, isolating some sort of adult cell, like a skin cell or a blood cell from an individual, either diseased or normal. Um, and then you could, through a series of research manipulations, you could sort of drive these cells to become embryonic-like cells. So embryo, uh, embryonic uh, stem cells are the ones that give rise to all other cells in the body. And so now, from an adult cell, you've, you've sort of given rise to this embryonic-like st uh, stem cell uh, without delving into embryos, which is, of course, there is a lot of ethical issues associated with that, uh, and, and feelings and emotions run high in that area. And so here, uh, there's a different way to generate embryonic cells. And then once you have embryonic cells, they can be grown technically forever. They can be banked in laboratories. And then you can drive these embryonic cells from there into other cells, like certain types of neurons, for example, neural cells that one would like to study that are, for example, of importance in Parkinson's disease, which is what we do. And so now uh, we, we are able to access brain tissues in a way from living individuals that we haven't been able to access before. Because like you mentioned, it's, it's really, it's not possible to study brain tissues from living individuals. You can't take a brain biopsy from somebody like you could take a little skin biopsy or, you know, if there was a tumor or something, take a little and look, look at what cells are doing. And so this really gives us this indirect way of generating brain tissues from uh, different individuals. And the unique and, and really exciting thing about this whole technology is that what we're finding is that these cells um, can actually be reporters of sort of what's happening from individual to individual. So uh, for example, uh, cells from somebody who with Parkinson's disease behave differently in culture compared to somebody who doesn't have Parkinson's disease. And even between individuals who have Parkinson's disease, each of them has a different, um, their cells behave differently even within 
the group. So we all know that uh, everybody's disease is not the same. Uh, you know, everybody expresses the disease differently. Uh, and for example, uh, that's important because the same sort of medications that we think may work for everybody uh, may work well for some and then not so well for others. And so uh, this sort of studying the disease individual by individual really has the, the advantages that you can be very precise in sort of what you learn uh, about individual variations and you can uh, understand the disease better, first of all, what the variations are. And then you can, you can test drugs on some of these cells um, and see, you know, maybe the cells works on cells from uh, individual A and individual B, but then the drug doesn't work on cells from individual C. And so this way you can really sort of uh, be a little bit more focused and strategic in terms of how therapeutics are developed. Um, and, and, and I think the broad terminology for this these days is precision medicine. And so this really allows, uh, this technology really allows for precision medicine uh, to sort of uh, be applied in a way that again, you know, we haven't been able to do so in the past. So exciting. Um, I'm thinking about the, I know, I know another passion of yours is, is, you know, mentorship and, and making sure that, um, you know, you're passing on this, this type of experience to others. And I'm thinking of these lucky, these lucky students that are, you know, in your classroom, if you're teaching in your lab, uh, and, and being able to work side by side as, as all this really evolves and unfolds, um, I, I know that's a passion of yours. And, and you know, talk to me a little bit about how you involve the students in, in this as, as sort of you go along. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I am passionate about working. How should I put it? I think I'm passionate about working with a diverse slate of students because I really think that um, diverse opinions matter for, um, for anything um, and it propels creativity. And it also tremendously helps students in gaining confidence and a worldview. Um, and so um, I enjoy interacting with students at different levels from all kinds of backgrounds. And, uh, you know, my basic philosophy is that it's, it's not really important where the students are academically or, you know, what they've learned really in the past. It's more what they want to do and the motivation and the interest and the drive that they show to want to get somewhere or want to learn um, in the lab or in the class, wherever they, uh, that might be. And so, and uh, you know, it's, it's just been fabulous just interacting with such, uh, you know, bright and, and, and engaging and, and lovely individuals. Uh, you know, I feel so lucky, uh, you know, from, from that point of view, I love the job of a professor because that allows me to do something like this. Um, and, uh, you know, especially undergraduates, I, 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 I love interacting with undergraduates because, um, I, you know, I feel that it's a very important part, a, a time period in the trajectory when students are trying to make decisions on to where they really want to go. Um, and I, I feel like I can make meaningful impact at that, that time. Um, and also they're very fresh, you know, they're, they're not afraid to ask questions. Uh, they bring a lot of new ideas uh, onto the table. Uh, you know, as we get older, we develop a few more inhibitions and we're, <laughs> we're a little yeah. bit more worried about what other people might think of us. You know, I find undergraduates mostly, uh, you know, are, are a lot more freer in how, how they, they sort of go about things. And sometimes they ask those, those so-called dumb questions that are really very important. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so, you know, it's, it's been fun interacting with them and I usually tend to give them independent little mini projects as they learn and do things so they can really try to take, understand the ropes of research and understand, you know, from the beginning to end what the research process means and also what it means uh, to, 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 to clinical medicine. You know, how does that, you know, because I really look, uh, as you mentioned, and I'd mentioned before, I mean, um, uh, taking care of the patient, I truly feel involves both arms, the basic side, uh, as well as the clinical side, and they need to go hand in hand, and they need to talk to each other. Um, and so if I can convey that uh, to the to the student or, who, you know, people that I mentor, uh, at least I try to convey that, I think that's, an, that's a very important message that I can give to them. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, we, it's something I love about being involved with Bio5, too, because, I mean, two things you mentioned, this, this concept of diverse thinking and diverse backgrounds, and, and we mean that, you know, very broadly in every possible way, just diversity in general um, is so much a part of what makes, you know, Bio5 a special place, and the University of Arizona, I think, really does a good job of actually you know, walking the walk of that, not just saying that that's what we do, um, but as, as well as bringing students in so early into, you know, we, we have our high school internship program keys and same thing you described, it's just amazing to see these minds come in and, you know, just deer in the headlights, but then, you know, they get in the labs and they get in a lab like yours and just the inspiration and imagination and creativity and like you said, lack of uh, a filter um, come out. It's, it's really exciting. So I, but it, it, you know, it takes special people like you that are willing to put that time in and see really the benefit both from their perspective, but also from your own. And, and uh, it's really admirable. I love that. Yeah, well, that, that's nice of you to say, Lisa, but I, you know, I, it's really a two-way process. I mean, the students teach me so much. Along yeah. So I'm, I'm better because of the students. So, um, you know, that's something you know, that, yeah. I'd like to say from my side. That's the best kind of, best kind of relationship, right? It's two-way two -way, uh, benefit for sure. Well, I know you're a busy, busy person. Uh, what do you do in, in any free time that you might have? Do you have any hobbies or what is your favorite thing to do if you're not in your lab or not teaching? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get enough time to do it. I wish I had more time to do things <laughs> I know. like that. But I, know. I, I love I love the outdoors, and, and Tucson is so beautiful. That's that's something that attracted me also to come to Tucson. Uh, in ten minutes, you can be out in the wilderness, walking on some beautiful trail somewhere. I love hiking, so um, I try to get out there and do that. Um, um as often as i can um my husband is, is an avid hiker too so we both like doing that together um and you know uh, I, I i like listening to music uh, and and reading uh, all, all kinds of variety of things is no specific whatever but uh, yeah th those are a few interests that I, that I try to kind of push along on the side relaxing the brain a little bit and yeah. <laughs> just be, be, being immersed in nature, music, whatever, to kind of stop everything for a little bit, right? Yeah. Sure. Well, thank you so much for um, being with us today and, and, and telling us about your work. I'm really excited for what's ahead. I hope you'll come back and visit us again um, and, and just talk more about, you know, what's coming up and uh, 
um, thank you for all you're doing. I, I think that um, the unique space of your work, um, you know, is going to make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks so much, Lisa. It was really enjoyable talking with you. You too. Take care. All right. Yeah. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Science Talks. Continue the conversation with us next time as we learn more about the amazing science happening at the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute.